Well, it is not um, every day that Olathe, Kansas makes national or even international news, as happened this week. I mean, so for those of you um, students, uh, parents, teachers, especially those of you who are connected in any way to Olathe Northwest, um, I just can't imagine what this, this week has, has been like. I mean, yeah, we think about what it's, what it's like for uh, our families as, as we go through this, as we, as we experience such a, a, a terrible tragedy together. I was, uh, you know, in a meeting on, on Monday morning when I got the email from a teacher there who, yeah, shared that, you know, two students, these young girls at the same high school, our high school, actually. I mean, it's, if, for those of you who don't know, Olathe Northwest is our closest school. We have 17 uh, students that attend here that, that go to Olathe Northwest. And to find out that those two young students took their own lives, um, it just knocks you over. I, I think about the, the agony uh, that those girls must have faced that led them to that terrible decision. Um, I think about their, their families and their friends, their classmates, their teachers. Just even think about us as a, as a community. What does, that, what does that mean for us? And selfishly, I think of myself as a parent, right? I think about my own kids. And once again, we cry out, God, how long? And kids, students, let me just say that we, your church, we love you. And we will always love you and we will always pursue you. That there, there is no question or doubt that you could face, no, no heartache or burden that you could carry, uh, no amount of shame or regret that would prevent us as your church from loving you and pursuing you, for, for longing to do anything we can to, to care for you and to be a part of your, of your lives. And this, this all happened the, the same weekend that we began our study in Habakkuk. This, this little tiny book in the Old Testament, this, this prophet so long ago who cries out for a world that should be better than this. And we, we learned three hard lessons from Habakkuk last week, that, that sometimes anger is the right response, that God can, God can handle our anger, and frankly, he's angrier than we could ever be at a world so spoiled by sin and heartache. And that sometimes... There are no satisfying answers. And what, what we need more than an explanation, what our community needs more than answers, is the presence of God so often lived out among his people. And sometimes the only thing that we can do is wait. And that's, that's where we left Habakkuk last week. Waiting. Longing for, for God to do something, praying that, 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 he would, that he would show up. And if you missed last week, let me just kind of catch us up where we are in this, this story, right? Because everything is, is written in the, in the context of, of a story. And so Habakkuk, he's this, this prophet in Israel 2,600 years ago, right around 600 BC, a really, really long time ago. And it's a time in Israel's history when they've, they've abandoned God. God's people have left God behind and they have traded him for their own injustice and greed and oppression. Uh, they are mistreating one another uh, and there is injustice and suffering all over the place. And so Habakkuk cries out, God, how long? I mean, how, how long, God, are you gonna sit there and do nothing? Habakkuk hears back from God 
God says to him, Habakkuk, I'm not doing nothing. I'm raising up the wicked Babylonians to swoop down and judge Israel. The Babylonians, they're, they're the worst. So now Habakkuk, he's even angrier, even more perplexed. God, how could you? How could you, how could you use uh, people that are that wicked to accomplish your purposes? And honestly, I mean, like Habakkuk, I am often perplexed by a God who allows and uses terrible things sometimes to accomplish his will. And so Habakkuk, he, he cries out, God, what, what are you doing? And we come back to the story and find that he's still waiting. Wait, waiting for God to do something, to say something, to, to somehow show up. And God does in, in chapter 2. And you know what God says? Wait for it. Habakkuk, if it, if it seems slow, wait for it. I think those are God's words for us this morning as well. Which is particularly awesome because we all love to wait so much, right? Waiting is the worst. I hate it. I mean, I'm just, my, my personality is such, and maybe I'm just so conditioned by the culture in which we live, but my personality, I'm, I'm in a hurry even when I have nothing to hurry about, right? I mean, even if I have no place to go, I'm always like pushing the speed limit just, just a little bit. Or I'm always telling my kids, hey, go faster, would you? Even, even if there's nothing to go faster for. And when I end up having to wait for something, I mean, I, I've got to distract myself, right? I've got to pull out my phone. I'm waiting at a red light. I've got 30 seconds, right? I can possibly squeeze in a little bit of distraction. We're, we're terrible at waiting. And I think it's even made worse by the instant society in which we live, Right? We can have just about anything we want in a moment. I mean, that's, that's a, unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, we just got to like stop and sit for a moment and think in the history of the world, what we have access to in a matter of moments is just ridiculous. Things that people would not even have believed centuries ago, even decades ago. I mean, some of you, I'm sure, have, have done this before, but it was the first time for me um, to really experience this. It was, it was two weeks ago, uh, and I was in my office, and I realized I needed a new commentary on Habakkuk, and I needed it now, not later, now. And within seconds, I was reading it on my Kindle. I mean, it's just, that, that's the world we live in. The most you and I tend to have to wait is three to five business days. And that's only if we're too cheap to have Amazon Prime, right? <laughs> we, we don't wait for anything. And so when these really big things come to us, and you know what I'm talking about, right? The things that, that we lose sleep over. Disease, loneliness, our relationships fall apart or, or suicide. And God says to us, if it seems slow, Wait for it. As we wait, we learn three things about God this morning. That God may seem slow, but he's not inactive. He may seem unjust, but he will take care of it. And he may seem powerless, and yet he is always in control. God may seem slow, and Let's be honest, he does most of the time, doesn't he, from our perspective? But he is not inactive. 
And, and one of the things I, I love about God, I mean, God, I think God understands us better than we give him credit for, right? Uh, he, he made us, and not only that, he walked on this earth. He knows what the human experience is like. God knows that he's slow in our, in our, from our perspective. He, he knows what, it, what, it, what it's like for us to, to have, have to wait. And so he gets right to it, right, with, with this speech to Habakkuk as he, as he speaks to this, this prophet. Right out of the gate, he says, for still the vision, okay, meaning God's plan to make it right, right, to actually do something about the wickedness that's happening. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. Habakkuk, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul, meaning Babylon's, is puffed up. It's not upright within him. But you, Habakkuk, the righteous, will live by their faith. We live by faith. And faith or, or faithfulness, it's the, it's the same idea in, in the Hebrew language. Sometimes we think of faith as merely a, a mental ascent. We subscribe to a list of beliefs. In that culture, to have faith was to live faithfully, right? To build your lives on those things worth trusting and it means to actively wait on God, to trust both him and his timing. But what did that look like for Habakkuk? To wait. Well, we don't know exactly when Habakkuk is writing, but roughly he had to wait somewhere between 8 and 15 years for the Babylonians to come in and destroy Jerusalem, which is not what he was looking forward to. But even that, he had to wait a decade, decade and a half. It would be another 47 years before God would judge the Babylonians, before they would get what was coming to them. And so if you're following that, on the slim chance that Habakkuk actually lived through the destruction of Jerusalem in 586, which we don't know if he did, many, many, many people died, he very well could have been one of them, on the slim chance that he survived that, there's even a slimmer chance that he would have made it all the way to 539 B.C. with the destruction of Babylon. Believe me, it seemed long for Habakkuk. I mean, even just think about that, right? That God tells Habakkuk to wait for something that most likely he would never even live to see. That he would most likely never, even in his own lifetime, be able to experience it. But the righteous live by faith. And faith means letting God hold the clock. Which seems really unfair. I mean, in so many ways. Because, because God's understanding of time, right, his relationship to time is very different than ours. God is an eternal being. We, we believe that. So that means God never had a beginning and he never will have an end, right? And so he exists in relationship to time very, very different than, than we do. We are, we're such finite, time-bound creatures. And Peter in the New Testament, for example, also talking about the suffering and the, and the slowness of God. Peter says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Well, thanks, Peter. Right? 
I mean, good for God, right? But a thousand years for us is sort of like a thousand years, right? Uh, which is, honestly, it's sort of like forever. When, when all we have is maybe 75, a thousand years is forever. And so to, to say to God, yeah, God, you, you can hold the clock. You can be in charge of the timing of all this stuff in, in my life and in our world. I mean, it just feels painful, doesn't it? In some ways, I think our, our relationship to God uh, with, when it comes to time is, is sort of like uh, the relationship between a parent and a toddler when it comes to time. It's just very different language, isn't it? Uh, and so if you've spent any time with, with kids, uh, you know that you can't tell a two-year-old you can have ice cream sometime next week, right? It doesn't make sense. You just can't, you can't, you can't even say later on today, or would you just give me five minutes, right? You just, you can't do that with it because everything is now in the mind of a toddler, and now, you know, for us as, a, as adults, certainly we have a, a more refined sense of time than a toddler. And yet, I think, I think that comparison is, is very similar to how we approach God. We're just speaking a different language. And so, yeah, we can understand that he may mean something different. But when God says, wait for, or he says, soon, is it like soon later on today or soon a thousand years from now? I mean, it's a terrifying reality to say, God, yeah, you can... You can take control of my time frame. Because here's, here's the deal, I think, for, for probably for many of us. I think most of us here probably trust God, at least to some extent, for the what. Right? That he's, he's moving things forward, and we may not like what's happening and our life. You know, there might be issues and stuff, but, but we believe that the what is something good, great, that it, it'll all be made right at some point. I think many of us probably trust him with the what. It's the when that I struggle with. Especially, especially when I get into the nitty-gritty of, of the details that I, that I really struggle with, that, that really hurt me, that caused me sleepless nights. God, when? I'm sure you're going to make it right, but when? Or maybe, maybe you ask, when, when is my family going to be whole? When am I going to feel better again? When will your kingdom come? And so where does God seem slow to you? I mean, I'm guessing we all have our list, right? Whether you're a Christian or not. Um, Guessing for all of us, there's a, there's a situation in our life or in our lives or in our world where God just seems slow. What, what is that in your, in your circumstance? If it seems slow, God says, wait for it. Faith means letting God hold the clock. But it's not just that He seems slow in this story, He also seems unjust. It just seems unfair, doesn't it? And yet he will take care of it. We talked about this a little bit last week, but the the nation of Babylon, so even to understand their historical context, they were people who made their own justice. Their their God was their their strength, right? Their military power. They they worshipped idols that demanded human sacrifice, um, even, even child sacrifice. And when they destroy, they murder men, women, children, animals, they would rape and they would pillage, they would skin their victims alive, and they enjoyed it. I mean, honestly, the, the ancient Babylonians make the Taliban look like a bunch of rookies. These, these were people who were vicious. And it feels unjust that God would allow such things. 
But, but most of what God says to Habakkuk here in chapter 2, most of it is about the Babylonians, where, where God keeps saying over and over again, yes, Habakkuk, I get it, but, but they're going to get theirs. That I'm not okay with their behavior. Yes, I'm permitting them to do this terrible thing for now. But I'm going to come for them as well. For, for example, a couple of spots. Verse, verse 6, God says, Woe to him, talking about the Babylonians, Woe to him who reaps, heaps up what he does, what is not his own. All the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. And verse, verse 9 and 10, Woe to him who gets evil gain to be safe from the reach of harm. You have forfeited your life. And verse 12 and 16, Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Daniel 5, also in the Old Testament, it's it's a few pages back, a a little bit further. He's another prophet, one who was actually captured by the Babylonians and and sent off uh, into their their land, right? Um, Daniel is is a book about that and what that looks like to live in exile. So it happened after Habakkuk writes. But but in Daniel 5, we, we read about the downfall of Babylon, it's a crazy story, honestly. Um, it's one of my kids' favorite because it's just so, you know, well, let me just tell you. It's, um, so the, the, all the Babylonians, the, the rulers, the, uh, everybody in charge, they're having this great big party, right? This celebration to their own uh, glory, right? They're worshiping themselves, their own power, their strength. They've got it all uh, together. When all of, all of a sudden, out of the blue, a human hand appears, like with no body. Okay, I told you it was crazy. Uh, and starts writing on a wall, and basically says, Babylon, you're finished. And that very night in 539 BC, the king of Babylon would be murdered in his sleep. The Medes and the Persians would take over. I mean, in an instant, this great empire just crumbles. God will judge the wicked. And whether he does that with another nation, as he did in this story, both with Israel and the Babylonians and the Assyrians before them, I suppose, or he does it by throwing the wicked into hell, God will judge. But here's the trouble. Even that makes us uncomfortable, right? I mean, on the one hand, we don't want a God who does nothing about injustice. On the other hand, we get really squeamish when we think about a God actually judging people, right? Even sending people to to hell. Even as terrible as the Babylonians were, we're uncomfortable with the concept of judgment. I mentioned this a a few months ago, but it it bears uh, repeating. There's uh, a guy named Miroslav Volf. He's a writer, a theologian. Uh, he's also of Bosnian descent, and he uh, lived through the terrible genocide that happened there a couple of decades ago and works now for reconciliation among those people groups who were torn apart by, by hatred uh, and violence. And he sees it as a result, the issue of God's judgment, through a very different cultural lens than we do. And he says very, um, I mean, almost offensively, it kind of offends me a little bit, except that I think that he's right, and I see this in myself. But he says that belief in a God who doesn't judge evil is only possible in the quiet of a suburban home. It's the only place where we can think that a God like this just couldn't possibly exist. 
And even, I mean, even tragic events like we uh, witnessed this past weekend, right, reminds us of how insulated we are from true, deep pain and evil. But he writes, in a a sun-scorched land soaked in the blood of the innocent for people who have literally watched their own children raped and murdered before them. How can they not believe in a God of judgment? I mean, God would be wicked if he didn't judge the wicked. And for the majority of people, whether alive today or you look around the the history of the world, right? For the majority of people living in fear and oppression, belief in God's judgment is the only source of hope. From the bully to the human trafficker, from the people who oppress the poor to those who are actively seeking out and murdering our brothers and sisters in Christ. And what's amazing to me is that Wolf takes it even a step further. I mentioned that he, he works in, in reconciliation, right? And trying to bring people groups, these same people groups who were killing each other not too long ago, back together. And he is, he is convinced that it, it's belief in a God of judgment that is the only thing, the only thing that can prevent retaliation, that makes forgiveness and, and reconciliation any possible, the only thing that can possibly stop the endless cycle of vengeance in our world is belief in a God who will take care of it. Otherwise, the oppressed, once they get power, they're going to oppress. They're going to take over and, and, and do the same thing as their oppressors. We've seen that over and over in history. Only, only if we believe that God will take care of it can we actually live with forgiveness and reconciliation. And so faith means letting God be the judge. It's, it's not our responsibility. Uh, to, to sit in judgment of another person, that, that, that's only God's prerogative. And besides, I mean, don't, don't we also deserve God's judgment? I mean, in some ways, I kind of hate to bring it up um, in this story, because I think at this point, right, the second weekend, uh, most of us are identifying more with, with God's people, right, with Israel. And I think there's something probably pretty appropriate to that. And yet, at the same time, we have a lot in common with Babylon as well. I mean, even just think of, of the list of, of woes, of accusations that God hurls against these people. I mean, don't we also hoard our wealth often at the expense of the less fortunate? Woe to us. That's what God says. Don't we, don't we worship our own strength and military power as a nation? Creating a, a false sense of security just just like they did, woe to us. And have, have we built nothing on the blood of others? And I know we're nearing Thanksgiving, but let's not romanticize the relationship between our ancestors and the people whose land this was. Woe to us. And, and do we not also create idol after idol after idol to worship instead of the true God? We have way more in common with Babylon than we care to admit. And never forget, God may use a nation, even our nation, but that doesn't for a moment justify that nation. I mean, God used Babylon for crying out loud to destroy the Assyrians, and God would use the Persians to destroy the Babylonians. And then the Greeks, and then the Romans, and on and on, don't believe for a moment that God won't replace us when he's done with us. If it seems slow, 
wait for it. But you know, there's another way of looking at God's delay here. Uh, that, that perhaps God isn't withholding justice simply so that the wicked would prosper. But that's so possibly just maybe waiting because he longs to show mercy. That, that's, that's who our God is. He longs to show mercy. Again, quoting Second Peter, that, that same place that I mentioned before. So it started off with the Lord one day as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. And then he says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness like most of us, right? But is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Let God be the judge. And if he seems slow, praise him for his mercy. And finally, as we wait, he may seem powerless, and yet he's always in control. This, this is why I think God says right out of the gate in those first verses, right? Immediately, in verse 4, there are really, I mean, Habakkuk, right, God is speaking to him. There's really just two ways to live here. There's the way of Babylon, he says, the way of the puffed up, right, who are, who are proud and self-centered, who, who carve their own path and make their own way. There's, there's that path, Habakkuk, but the righteous, God says, will live by his faith. Man, it's hard, isn't it? When things go wrong, when we, when we feel the weight, so often, so often it feels like this. Let's, let's watch. Well, thank God you're all right. God, yeah, let's thank God, shall we? For his blessings are raining down upon me. Wait, that's not rain! Bruce, please don't do that, honey. You know that everything happens for a reason. That I don't need. That is a cliche. That is not helpful to me. A bird in the hands or two in the bush. I have no bird. I have no bush. God has taken my bird in my bush. Oh, I see. So, so God is picking on you? Is that what you're saying? No, he's ignoring me completely. He's far too busy giving Evan everything he wants. Oh, that's great, Sam. But you missed your target. I'm over here! Don't get mad at the dog. It's not the dog's fault. No, it's God's fault. I gave him the wrong coordinates. Right, you know what? Enough. All right, will you just stop being such a martyr? I am not being a martyr. I'm a victim. God is a mean kid sitting on an anthill with a magnifying glass, and I'm the ant. He could fix my life in five minutes if he wanted to, but he'd rather burn off my feelers and watch me squirm. All right, sweetheart, I know that you're mad. It's completely understandable what Evan did is slimy and wrong, but this day could have been so much worse. I'm just glad you're okay. Okay? Newsflash! I'm not okay. I'm not okay with a mediocre job. I'm not okay with a mediocre apartment. I'm not okay with a mediocre life! It's hard, hard to watch in some ways, and yet, many of us here have felt that way. And maybe not, maybe not, not that God is picking on you, but maybe he's, that he's ignoring you, which I think in some ways almost feels more painful. Or, or that, that God is just a mean kid with a magnifying glass, and we feel like a victim. And I think many of us here believe, right, that God can fix whatever it is you're dealing with. Whatever it is you see in our world that, that is tearing you apart, he can fix it like that, and yet he so often seems so silent and so distant. But the reality is, there, even, even though we feel that, 
There's a big difference between Jim Carrey's response to God in that movie um, than Habakkuk's, right? Because in, in that, that response, it's all directed about God, right? Uh, but Habakkuk, he brings his complaint, even, even his anger. They both come from a very similar posture of, of disappointment with God, of even anger at what they see happening. And yet they come to God very differently, don't they? I mean, for Habakkuk, Habakkuk is clearly confused, perplexed by what God is doing to accomplish his will, but not for a moment is he confused about who's in charge. I mean, everything in Habakkuk's life screams out, God has left the building, or, or he's just a, a mean kid, or he's absolutely powerless. And only faith can say otherwise in moments like that. Rather than allowing his circumstances to determine what he feels about God, he allows what he believes about God to determine how he views his circumstances. Do you see the difference there? Because I know know for me, right, when junk happens in my life or I see it in the world or I I just get frustrated or or just even despairing over it, my, my temptation is to allow that to decide what I believe about God. Right, I see this, and I see this, and, and this happening in my life, and around on the news, and, and so therefore God must be that. That's, that's my temptation. That's not faith. Faith says, God, okay, I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand it. I may not even like it. But God, I continue to believe that you are good. That you are present, that you are in control no matter, no matter what I encounter. I mean, how, how else could Habakkuk, right, in, in this circumstance, how else could he write down uh, these, these words that one day, even him who would see his people destroyed by the wicked Babylonians that in, in 2.14, one day the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Friends, faith means letting God be God. Which is just so hard for us, isn't it? It's, it's hard for me because, you know, deep down, I, I kind of want to be God, right? I want to call the shots in my life. And, and really, if, if we're honest, I think many of us would, would, would say that, yeah, I kind of actually feel like I'd probably do a better job, right? Because we see things that happen and we're like, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done it like that, God, I guess. I mean, we feel that, don't we? I mean, just, just even imagine uh, if God were up for re-election. I mean, it's kind of a ridiculous thing to think about, right? But just think about the potential for the smear campaign, the, the negative ads and, and mailers. You know, where, where was God at Olathe Northwest this past week? And where, where is he with the whole Ebola thing? And what about AIDS and, and violence? What about children being sold into slavery still happening in, in our world? Is it time for a change? Kind of here in the background, I am the devil and I approve this message. Somebody actually laughed this service. <laughs> I mean, look at your worst circumstances. I mean, I, I don't know what that is for you. I know what it is for some of you, but, but whatever that is for you, maybe it's, maybe it's cancer, infertility, maybe your relationships are, are just imploding, or depression, infertility, you name it. Whatever that is in your story, or as you look around a world so tattered, can you say, God, you've got this? Even though I don't understand it, and even though I don't particularly like it, God, I believe and I will, I will continue to trust that you have got this. Faith isn't trusting God under the right circumstances. It's fa- trusting God under any 
circumstance. And the alternative here, I mean, just like the Babylonians, the, the alternative to trusting God uh, isn't sort of just sort of, you know, going off and doing your own thing, right? Um, because we're all going to trust something or someone. I mean, it doesn't matter what you believe, what your background is. Uh, we all trust something to keep us safe, right? To, to make our lives feel important, to give us satisfaction and joy. Every one of us trusts something. And so what's, what's the alternative to saying to God, yes, I'm going to continue to trust you even when I don't understand all that you're doing? What's the alternative? It's, it's being like the Babylonians. It's making anything else into, into our, our God. In fact, that's where, where God ends this section of, of woes, is talking about the ridiculousness of their, their idolatry, the things that they continue to worship instead of, instead of the true God. And so maybe your God is actually the thing that you've been praying for instead of God. Maybe it's really that thing that you've been waiting and hoping for. Maybe it's safety or approval or whatever you think will make you happy. And God calls those here. He calls them those imitation gods a teacher of lies. It's kind of a strong statement, but I love that he says that, right? Because when we run to those things, when we say, I'm going to trust that, right? Whatever that is. They promise things that they can never fulfill. Are you waiting on God or are you waiting on a pack of lies? Empty, meaningless, hopeless. And compared to the real thing, and I love how this chapter ends, with God saying these words about himself, it says in 2.20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. When I, when I hear that verse, right, and you read that in context, and, and God is now speaking his final word on the matter to, to Habakkuk. Next, next week, it's going to be Habakkuk's response. I almost picture God saying, you know, I'm, I'm God. I'm in my temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. And it's almost like he sort of, you know, drops the microphone and, and walks off, right? This is, this is the end of it. For, for him, this is, this is the final speech to Habakkuk, where he says, I'm, I'm still who, who you believed in. I'm still the God that's, that you have, have worshipped and given your life to all along, even, even though it falls apart, even though you don't like it, even though you don't understand it. And so Habakkuk, if it seems slow, wait for it. Let God hold the clock. Let God be the judge. Let God be your God. For the righteous live by faith. And so Habakkuk would wait. And regardless, honestly, of, of whatever he actually saw of God's answer, Habakkuk died, and God's people died after him, and the Babylonians faded, and then the Persians faded, and the Greeks, and then for a little while, it seemed as if the wait was over, right? This, this little taste of it. The Apostle Paul says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son so that we might receive adoption as sons. And in Romans, he, he adds that, he says, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And yet still we wait. I mean, that we believe is the centerpiece of human history, right? It, it is the moment, this, this death and resurrection, this coming of our God himself to bring life and hope that, that says there loud and clear that I am not finished with this world. Uh, that I, I haven't given up, I'm, I'm going to make things new. And that, that, that is the promise that, yes, one day, this same Jesus who died and rose again will return, and he will make it right, and yet still we wait. I mean, how many, uh, 
of his faithful people have cried out, how long? And how long will we cry out, how long? Until the glory of the Lord covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. And until that day, we hold to this, the Lord is in his temple. Yes, it seems slow, but we're going to wait for it. And Habakkuk's message to us today, it's a heavy one, right? We feel it deeply, and even last week, I think it was probably heavier, honestly, um, darker in, in its pain and its lament before God. And um, after, after Sunday this past week, I, I got several emails from people just in the thick of the wait, um, dealing with the mess of life. Um, I asked one person if I, could, if I could read their email for us. She said, she said I, I could. Maybe that's not obvious. Um, because she's, she's right in the thick of it. And so this is from uh, one of our, our single moms uh, who recently her husband walked out um, on, on her family. And so she's, she's wrestling with Habakkuk, just as we all are. But in her, in her place of, of woundedness, here's what she says. Nathan, I've been thinking about some things you said Sunday morning. I always get a little bit nervous when I hear that in email. I think one of the reasons God allows bad things to come into our lives, other than causing us to turn to him and trust him, is that it gives us a chance to be his hands and feet. During this horrifying last several months, I have seen and felt evidence of this in truly life-changing ways. People that I might not have ever had a conversation with have have shared with me that they're praying for us, that they have been in my shoes and it will get better, have just hugged me and cried with me and generously shared God's love with me. And the crazy thing is, God will use me and my kids to help other moms and other kids through their, their horror and pain. We are guaranteed that this world will get worse. But we will live through the pain and it won't last forever. And man, oh man, do we need others who have gone through it before us to lend an ear and a ray of hope. And when I walk through it with another hurting mom, I'm sure to relive it a little and cry all over again. But God promises he'll make it worth it. And even though, she continues, even though it absolutely sucks as we are trying desperately to survive being stuck in the muck, And some days I can't even picture getting through the next hour. I know that someday it really will settle down and become a different kind of normal. And someday my kids really will be okay. And someday I will be okay too. And if it hurts God even more than it hurts me and my kids, then I will choose to be grateful in the midst of the pain. And I will choose every day to be faithful because he is faithful to me. Don't get me wrong. I have asked why and how long many, many times. But God always, always comes through. I don't know all the answers, but I know his promise. And so as long as he blesses me with a heartbeat, I will keep on getting up, and I will keep on smiling, and I will break down sometimes, but I will remain faithful through it all. And some glorious day, I will see the good that he has promised to bring. Friends, if it seems slow, wait for it. And we we wait together. And just as his faithful people have, have gathered together for 2,000 years, we gather together uh, around this, this table, right? Uh, communion, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, whatever your tradition has, has called it, that, that together uh, we wait and together we celebrate. And even, even Paul, right, he, he says to us that, that we do this in remembrance of Jesus. We proclaim his death until he comes. We build our lives on, on this idea that he has died and rose again because we believe that he's going to come back. And so this morning we're going to come and we're going to partake of this physical reminder of his presence with us. 
If you're newer here this morning, let me just explain how we do that. Um, we've got four tables, two up here in the front, uh, two in the back. And whenever you're ready, we're going to take the rest of the morning, so you can just kind of, uh, when, whenever you feel like it, uh, make your way to one of those tables, um, take the bread, dip it in the cup, uh, and eat. And I, I would encourage you, as, as we do that together this morning, as we often do, um, come with somebody. Uh, even, even if you don't know them, even if you're new here, uh, as the lines sort of form, come with somebody. This is a meal that, w- that was meant to be shared together, because this, this weight requires that we wait together. We need one another in this. And so I'd encourage you to come with somebody as you come. And I want to um, maybe just give us a, a moment to, to, to quiet our hearts uh, before we do that. Why don't we pray silently together, maybe reflect on something um, that, that was been said. Um, maybe you've heard God speaking to you. Um, and then whenever you're ready, uh, please come to the table. Let's pray together.